0: Thanks for your company. I'm Dr. Barry Harker and this is The Bible Teachers. We are continuing Search for Certainty with Pastor Danny Malenkov. This is the eighth program in the series. Hello, Danny. G'day, Barry. Where are we going in the series today? Well, today we're going to be looking at a question that we all have to face and that is what happens to a person after after they die? The Bible gives us a very clear answer and I'm looking forward to sharing today. Over to you. Thank you. Welcome to The Search for Certainty. Today we're going to take a look at a subject that involves each and every person, and that is what happens to a person when they die. I've entitled this message, Solving the Mystery of Death. Solving the Mystery of Death. We all face this common enemy to mankind, death. What happens to a person after they have breathed their last there are many ideas on what happens to a person when they die. There are some that believe and teach that the person's soul or their spirit goes to heaven if they have been a good person. Or if they haven't been a good person, that their spirit and soul goes down to hell where they burn forever and ever. Then there are those that believe in purgatory, this intermediate state where if you are not bad enough for hell or you are not good enough for heaven, you are instead transported to a place called purgatory. Now, what is purgatory? It's a teaching where purgatory is viewed as an intermediate state after physical death in which those who are destined for heaven undergo purification so that they will be able to achieve the holiness necessary to enjoy the joys of heaven. I discovered that many Christian as well as non-Christian faiths believe in this kind of teaching of purification that is required after death before the person is fit or able to enter heaven. Then there is the teaching of reincarnation. Hundreds of millions of those who belong to the Indian religions believe in this teaching. What is reincarnation? Well, it's the belief that the soul or the spirit after death begins a new life in a new body, whether that be an animal or whether that be another human being. It re-enters or reincarnates the person or the particular animal and continues to live on in a different way. Various world religions, in fact, most of if not all of the world's major religions, including Islam, including Judaism, believe that when a person dies, their soul or their spirit lives eternally. There are those today that believe that we can communicate with our dead loved ones. There are many who testify that they have had uh, opportunities to to talk with and be visited by their deceased loved ones who have given them messages, messages of hope and messages of comfort? Have they really been talking to their dead loved ones? Are we able to speak to our dead loved ones or those that have um, passed away? Today, through the popular media, many are led to believe that the human being is made up of a physical body, that which we can touch and that which we can see, as well as the soul, the soul that lives on forever and ever, that which we cannot touch, that we, that, that which we cannot see. In fact, here in Australia, we have a newspaper called The Sunday Telegraph. And it has an insert each weekend. Every Sunday, you can find this insert and it's dealing with lifestyle issues. And the insert is entitled Body and Soul. Body and Soul. And so when people, when people take a look at this insert in the Sunday Telegraph, they have the idea or they are led to believe, and it is implanted in their minds and their memories and in their hearts, that we consist of a body and a soul. And so this teaching is the predominant teaching out there In the media, when Pope John Paul II passed away, there was um, a lot of publicity concerning his funeral and millions upon millions of individuals watched uh, the funeral uh, there on TV. It was interesting to read the front page of the Daily Telegraph here in Australia and the title was, He Changed the World. This is back in April 2005 and then the subtitle death of the pope a champion of human freedom called home to god so once again the belief that this man of god this man that did so much good for so many years all around the world touched the lives and the hearts of so many uh, the head of the of the roman catholic church he has been called home to god his soul has been called home to God, and he continues to live on. Notice this. Um, I found this uh, very interesting front page. This is on the front page of the Sun Herald. This is um, one of our newspapers, one of our main newspapers here in Australia. And this was the titled: Christ is opening the door to the Pope. He is already seeing and touching the Lord. So once again, when people take a look at their newspapers, when they take a look at the inserts, when they take a look at the movies and the books, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on, when, when they take a look at the material that is available, people are coming to the conclusion, both both believers in God and those who do not believe in God, that there is life after death, that we have a soul We have a spirit that cannot die, that lives on forever and ever and ever, whether in heaven or whether in hell or whether in purgatory or some other place. But there is part of us that cannot die and lives on forever and ever. Well, you may be asking the question, does it really matter what you believe? I mean, Danny, does it really matter? Uh, Big deal. Big deal what you believe, whether there is something or there isn't something. Well, it does matter. And it matters a great deal because what you believe about death and what happens when a person dies has a profound impact on what happens to you and me in the end times. And together we have already discovered from a previous presentation that we are indeed living at the very end of of time. We're living at the very end of history as we took a look at the signs that Jesus gave us, signs that will help us to know when his coming was near, even at the door, as Jesus says, we can clearly see that those labor pains have intensified to the point where, where Jesus is about to come. There isn't much left to be fulfilled. And so we are living at that time just before the coming of Jesus. And if we do not understand the truth as to what God's word teaches on this all-important subject... We run the risk, the very high risk of being lost eternally Because the enemy, and we all know who the enemy is, don't we? It's, it's Satan He will seek to deceive the entire world Based on people's ignorance, their misunderstanding Or, 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 their, complete, or, or their complete lack of knowledge of God's truth on this all-important subject before we take a look at what the Bible says, um, I want to share with you this uh, very interesting um, story that I came across. Um, not sure if it's a true story or not, but it certainly makes the point very clear. A little boy, young boy, was passing through a cemetery one day, and, um, and he happened to, to read on this epitaph. You know what an epitaph is? It's a short text honoring a deceased person that is placed on a tombstone or plaque. So he took a look at this epitaph and he read the words. These were the words. Stop, my friend, as you go by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be. So prepare yourself to follow me. The young boy smiled to himself and he thought, well, that's very interesting. And so he pulled out a crayon out of his pocket and underneath those words he wrote these words to follow you I'm not content until I know which way you went. So where did the person go? Where do we go at death? What really happens when we die? Today we want to discover the truth from God's word. Today there are many ideas, many views, many teachings both in the media and in Christianity and amongst the various world religions regarding this all-important topic, this all-important subject that we all have to deal with. As someone has once said, death and taxes. These are the two unavoidable um, things that we have to deal with. You can maybe get away with taxes, but no one has cheated death. And so we need to know what the Bible teaches. And I believe the Bible provides an answer, a wonderful answer from God's Word. But as always, before we open up God's Word, we need to ask the God that inspired the writers of the Bible to inspire us and to give us understanding. So let's just pause and pray for one moment. Loving Father in heaven, we come humbly before you once again and we ask and pray that you will help us to understand and to know the truth. You have told us, Lord, in your word, that we will know the truth, the truth from your word, if we abide in your word, and the truth will set us free. There is much confusion in the world today regarding this subject. So we need to know the truth. For as we will discover, this truth is so vital, it will have an enormous an eternal impact on us, especially those of us living at the end of time. So bless us as we open your word. May your Holy Spirit lead and guide us, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In order to understand what happens to a person when they die, we need to go to the very beginning of the Bible. That's right. We need to go to the book of Genesis, and we need to discover how God first created the first human being, Adam. Notice what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says God took the soil from the ground or the dust and he breathed his life-giving breath into the nostrils of Adam and then Adam became a living being. Or a living soul if you have the King James Version Two elements that produced Adam Breath plus soil or the dust of the ground And he became a living being So what happens to a person when they die? What happens at death? Well it's actually very, very simple Notice what the Bible says The exact opposite takes place It's so simple Psalm 104 and verse 29, we read these words. You hide your face. They are troubled. You take away their breath. They die and return to their dust. So there you have it. At death, the opposite to how God formed life at the very beginning takes place. It says you take away their breath. God takes away his breath, the breath that God gave to Adam, the breath that God gives to you, to me, that goes back to God who gave it. And the body that came from the dust to begin with goes back into the dust. It returns to the dust. In fact, the word for breath and in other parts of the Bible, it's the word spirit is used. It's the same word in the Hebrew. The word is ruach, ruach. And that word simply means air, breath or wind. Notice another scripture, this time from the New Testament. This is from the book of Luke, chapter 8 and verse 54. And here we have an account where Jesus resurrects a young girl. Notice what Luke describes. But he, that is Jesus, put them all outside took her by the hand and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. Now you may be thinking, well, Danny, it says her spirit returned, that living entity that cannot die. But the word there for spirit in the Greek, the original language that the New Testament was written in, is the word pneuma. So I've given you two words today, ruach in the Greek, sorry, in the Hebrew and pneuma in the Greek. And the Greek word pneuma, translated here in the English spirit, simply means breath, air or breeze. The same meaning as that of ruach in the Old Testament. Pneuma. You may be familiar with pneumatic tools, which are tools that are powered by air. Pneuma, or a person who suffers pneumonia. It's a, it's, it's, it's a disease that affects the lungs or our breathing apparatus. So the Bible is clear. The spirit or the breath that God gives returns to God who gave it. The body goes back into the soil and the person ceases to exist. The Bible uses the word Soul some 1600 times and never once does it use the words immortal soul these words have just simply come into have come into the church or have come into uh, be understood as truth but they are not to be found in the bible nowhere in the bible will you discover the words immortal soul soul is simply a term for a person and we use the term today when we say I went to the supermarket and I did not see a living soul. What we're simply saying is we didn't see a a living person. There was no one there. I was there all on my own. So we use that term today just as the Bible uses the term soul to refer to a living person. The Bible says that only God is immortal. Mortal means subject to death, whereas immortal means the opposite not subject to death, or one that is imperishable, one that cannot die. Notice what the Bible says regarding who alone is immortal. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17, we read these words. Now to the King Eternal, capital K, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the Bible is clear. The Eternal King, he alone is immortal. God alone who is wise, he alone is immortal. And just in case we are still not convinced that God alone is immortal and God alone has immortality, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 to 16, the apostle Paul goes on and he says, He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, And we all know who that is. Who alone is immortal. Notice, who alone is immortal, dwelling in unapproachable light. So the Bible is clear, crystal clear, that God alone, the King of kings and Lord of lords, He alone is immortal. There is no such thing in the Bible as the immortality of the soul or the immortal soul, even though this is the foundational belief of almost all of the major world religions including Christianity regarding what happens to a person when they die the Bible does not support or teach so how did this teaching of the immortal soul come into the church we obviously cannot find it in the Bible so where did it come from that's a very good question this teaching came into the Christian church through pagan Greek philosophy, that taught that the soul is immortal. You see, the Greeks believed in what is referred to as dualism. Dualism meaning two, that is that the human is, con- is, is, is or the human consists of two major elements. That is the physical body that you can touch, you can see, you can feel, and so on and so forth. That part of the human body that that perishes and um, goes into the dust and that is mortal. And then there is that aspect of the human that cannot be seen. And that is the soul or the spirit that lives on forever and ever. And that is precious. That is the important aspect of the human being and 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 that is which lives forever and ever and ever and cannot die so this philosophy of the greeks came into the christian church when paganism came into the christian church and many pagan practices that are not found in the bible including the day of worship that we've discovered in our in a previous presentation where sunday keeping came into the church and um, and replaced seventh day Sabbath keeping, which is not taught in the Bible. So a lot of these practices came into the Christian church, including this teaching. Now, where did the pagan Greeks get their teaching on death? Well, ultimately, this teaching can be traced back to the Garden of Eden. That's right. The Garden of Eden, the one that came up with this teaching is none other than the serpent, Satan, Satan himself. He was the first one to share this teaching that when you die, you do not really die. That although your body disintegrates and goes into the soil and becomes nothing in time, your soul, your spirit cannot die because you cannot die. You are immortal. It was Satan that first shared that light. He was the one that first preached this sermon of error and he preached it to a very willing audience, an audience of one. Notice the words that we read in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4 that describe the serpent's interaction with Eve. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Notice that first sermon. Notice that very first lie, you will not surely die. Contradicting the very clear words of God that he shared earlier in Genesis 2 when he told Adam and Eve that if they were to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that they would surely die. You will surely die. And Satan comes along and he says, no, you will not surely die. He adds the word not into what God clearly said. And so this teaching that you will not surely die, that you cannot die, comes ultimately from the serpent. It comes from the, from Satan. And he has infiltrated every aspect of our lives, both religious and secular. It's in the media. It's in our churches. it's in, it's, in, it's in the world religions. It is everywhere. And you remember what the serpent said to Eve. If you eat... The fruit from this tree, you'll become like God. Capital G. That's right. It's capital G. And who alone is immortal? The Bible says God alone is immortal. So Eve was tempted to become just like God who is immortal. And yet she became the very opposite. Who wanted to become like God at the very beginning? Well, The Bible tells us it was Lucifer who became Satan who said, I am will exalt my throne above the stars. I will be like the Most High. Isaiah chapter 14. Lucifer wanted to be like God. He tempted Eve that she could be like God. And it was through this false teaching that when you die, you do not really die and you cannot die. So when and how do we get immortality? Notice what the Bible says. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Notice, when does it happen? It happens at the last trumpet. When is that event? That event is the second coming of Jesus. We've looked at those scriptures in the past. It's when Jesus comes. Notice, It's when the dead are raised incorruptible. Paul goes on. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And notice these words now. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when do we receive the gift of immortality? It's at the second coming of Jesus. When the dead in Christ will be raised immortal or incorruptible, as Paul puts it. And those who are alive who are dressed in mortality will be dressed in immortality. God will take off those garments of mortality and he will place the gift of immortality within each one of us. But we will not be immortal like God. The Bible says we will continue month by month to eat from the tree of life, just like Adam and Eve at the very beginning of time. And only through God, only as a gift from God Day by day, month by month, God will place within us the gift of immortality for God alone is immortal. So where are the dead now? Where are the dead now? That is a very, very good question. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABM Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456, or from outside of Australia on country code 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia, Inc., P.O. Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales, 2264, Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. So where are the dead now? That's a very good question. Notice what the Bible teaches. You may remember the story of Jesus, Martha, Mary and Lazarus. Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus, as was Mary and Martha, his two sisters. And on one occasion, the Bible says a messenger came to Jesus to tell him that his friend, the one that he loved, was very sick. Jesus immediately knew that this was a reference to his friend Lazarus, who lived there in Bethany. And so the Bible says Jesus didn't immediately go to the home of Lazarus. Instead, he stayed several days ministering there where he was. And then finally, he told his disciples in John chapter 11, verse 11, and his disciples were baffled, wondering why Jesus wasn't going to his friend Lazarus who was gravely ill. Jesus said to his disciples in John 11, verse 11, Our friend Lazarus sleeps but I am going that I may wake him up. The disciples thought that Jesus was speaking of Lazarus taking a rest in sleep. Notice their response in verse 12. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. But they did not understand what Jesus was referring to when he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps. Then Jesus, verse 14, then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. As far as Jesus was concerned, Lazarus, who had died, was asleep. The Bible speaks of death as asleep. The Bible tells us on a number of occasions that death is asleep. The resurrection of Lazarus is proof that Jesus will raise our believing loved ones too. Just as Jesus raised Lazarus from his sleep, so too he will raise those who sleep in Christ. Notice the Apostle Paul and what he wrote to the believers in Thessalonica who were discouraged and despondent as their loved ones who had put their faith and trust in Jesus were passing away and Jesus had not returned. Notice the words that the Apostle Paul encourages the church or the Christians there in Thessalonica. In First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, we read the Apostle Paul writing, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Notice for the Apostle Paul, as for Christ, as for all of the Old Testament prophets, as for other writers in the New Testament, they all had the same belief, the belief that when a person dies, they are simply asleep, asleep, waiting for the resurrection of Jesus, waiting to be reunited with their loved ones, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. The Bible speaks of two resurrections. You don't want to be in the second resurrection, the second resurrection is spoken of in the Bible as the second death. It is the resurrection that those who are lost for all eternity will, be, will, will rise up in. You want to be in that first resurrection. Those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. Those that have allowed Christ to be Lord and Savior of their lives. Those who, like Paul, have, have put their faith and trust in Him who is the blessed hope and that is Jesus. The Bible is clear. Death is asleep. And that's just what a person who has passed away looks like. I have seen many individuals who have passed away, and as they are just lying there still, either in their casket or on the bed, they are simply lying as if they are asleep, in a very, very deep sleep, awaiting, awaiting the trumpet sound, awaiting the voice of the archangel, Awaiting the resurrection that Jesus will usher in at his second coming. Death is asleep. More than 50 times the Bible writers describe death as asleep. Notice Psalm 115 verse 17. David writes, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. That's what sleep is. It's a, it's a place where people go down into silence. When you sleep, unless you're a heavy snorer, you are generally silent. There's breath coming out and and nothing more. There is no praise for those who go down into silence. They do not praise the Lord. Can you imagine someone, if they were in heaven, if their soul or their spirit was in heaven, they would be praising the Lord. But the Bible is clear. When we die, there no longer is any more praise. Notice what we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5. Solomon writing, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. So the dead are not aware of anything. They are asleep just as you are not aware of what is taking place around you when you're asleep. You are completely unconscious." to your surroundings, so too the Bible is clear. The dead know nothing. God could not have been any more clear. It's impossible to misunderstand the word of God. The living know that they will die. We know. But the dead know nothing. It's so important to know this truth. If you know this truth, the enemy cannot deceive you as he so much wants to deceive the entire world. Now, when it comes to communicating with the supposed dead, we have discovered that the dead know nothing. We've discovered when a person dies, they go into silence. We've discovered that there is no such thing as an immortal soul or an immortal spirit. We've discovered thus far from God's word that God will give the gift of immortality to those who are the saved at his second coming. Nobody has immortality today. Nobody who has passed away is able to communicate with, with anybody. So what does God have to say about those who claim to communicate with those that have passed away? Notice these words, these very strong words that God gives in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18 and verses 9 to 12. This is God speaking through Moses to the children of Israel who are about to enter the promised land, the land of Canaan. Notice what God says to them. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Speaking of the Canaanites. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. In other words, um, those who practice child sacrifice and that's what the pagans did that's what the the canaanite religions did they would sacrifice their their children to the gods to appease the gods and god said you shall not do that god went on and he continues or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. God says we are to have nothing at all to do with these practices. Nothing at all. Witchcraft. I've just recently come back from Africa, from the country of Tanzania. And there I came face to face with many individuals who had gone to witches who practiced witchcraft in order to receive help, in order to receive um, assistance from physical ailments that they had that, that the doctors couldn't help them with when they went to the hospital. And these individuals, as a result, were oppressed by the enemy. They had evil spirits enter them, and we prayed with them. And I'll share a little more of that as we go along. But it was, it, was, it was so awful to see the state and the condition of individuals, um, the terror that they had to put up with as they, had, as they had allowed the enemy into their lives in a very real way. And so God says, have nothing at all to do with those who practice these things or have no involvement at all with witchcraft. And today that's very popular. Today, witches, we we talk about good witches, white witches and good witches and bad witches. As far as the Bible is concerned, there is no such thing as a good witch. All witchcraft is from the enemy and God says have nothing to do with it. Notice what the Bible says, for all these things are an abomination to the Lord and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. Speaking of the Canaanites, God would drive them out he would have to purge the land because of these abominations. Notice what the, what the punishment was for those who practiced these works of the devil, all based on spiritualism, all based that when a person dies, they do not truly die. They shall, the Bible says in Leviticus 20, 27, they shall, that is the people of Israel, shall stone them with stones, their blood shall be upon them. Wow, what, what consequences, what punishment. God said that anyone who was found amongst the children of Israel to be practicing such things, they were to be stoned. They, they, they were to be killed. That is very serious. Now, why is that? That is because these individuals were in direct communication with the enemy. They were in direct communication with the devil. They were being used as agents from the devil. And the devil was speaking through these witches, through these sorcerers, through these mediums and communicating his message, not the message of their loved ones who had passed away, not the message of the gods or the spirits or anyone, but these were messages from Satan himself himself and if you play with him you will get burnt you play with fire and you will get burnt notice what the bible says regarding satan himself second corinthians 11:14 the bible says for satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light he is able he has the power god has given him incredible powers Very powerful angel. And he has the ability to be able to transform himself into an angel of light. He is able to impersonate those who are your loved ones who have passed away. He is is able to do these things. We have a story in the Old Testament where where King Saul went to a witch, the witch of Endor, and, um, and the Bible says that there appeared before King Saul Samuel the prophet who had passed away. That wasn't Samuel the prophet. That was an evil spirit impersonating Samuel the prophet. These evil spirits are able to impersonate our loved ones, friends, people who we know. They're able to look like them. They're able to sound like them. They are able to act like them. For all intents and purposes, you will be deceived into believing that is your very loved one. The Bible says have absolutely nothing to do with, with, with the forces of evil, with spiritualism. In the book of Revelation, God's final message of love to the world, in Revelation chapter 14, God has a very, very serious warning he loves us, and that's why he gives us this very, very strict and serious warning because of his incredible love for us, because he knows, how, he knows how dangerous this is. And in Revelation 14, 8, we read, And another angel followed, saying, This is the second angel's message in Revelation 14. You remember those three angels' messages, God's final message of love to the world. There in Revelation 14, verses 6 to 12. This is the second angel's message. And the angel cries out, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Now, what is Babylon? We could spend a lot of time unpacking what Babylon is, but in a nutshell, Babylon is, is is this entity, Babylon, is this system of false worship that the devil himself has set up, that he has sold to the various religions of this world, that he has sold to the various nations of this world in order to confuse and in order to take people away from the truth. Babylon is fallen. It's confusion. It's it's. It's going against God's will and going against God's truth. It's it's opposition to God. And notice what we read in Revelation 18 verse 2. Once again, Babylon, this symbol of confusion, this op- symbol of opposition to God, this symbol of opposition to God's word, this symbol of deception, this symbol of Satan's lies and Satan's deceptions and errors. Notice what we read in Revelation 18, verse 2. And he, that is this angel. There's another angel that comes along. This is a fourth angel that we discover there in Revelation 18 that follows the message of the three angels, one final message of God's love for the world. And he cried with a loud voice. You remember those words, loud and voice? In the original, the words are megaphone, in this megaphone voice for the whole world to hear. And understand and know Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Notice Babylon is now a place and this is right at the end of time. This is God telling us this is what the situation will be like right at the end of time, right around the world. This world will be inhabited by demons Demons who are utilizing the errors that people believe regarding what happens to a person when they die It is a dwelling place for demons And so we need to know that the enemy is real and his methods are real and he's playing for keeps He is seeking to destroy, seeking to steal, kill and destroy He's a deceiver and a destroyer And notice what we read in Revelation 18, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. God is inviting his people to come out of Babylon to have absolutely nothing to do with error, to have nothing to do with the forces of darkness, to have nothing at all to do with spiritualism, the occult, that that is so prevalent in our society today. Today, witchcraft is big business. Today, Harry Potter, The Lord of the Rings, and um, and I could go on and on with movies and with um, various TV series that are very popular. And there's and there's and there are books. Um, there is music. There are internet websites. Uh, there, are, there is music, there is just so much out there in the world that, that is preparing the world for Satan's great deception. Satan wants the entire world, one way or the other, to be deceived. And so he is setting the entire world up. Sadly, not only is the devil using Hollywood, but the devil is using those who claim to believe in the holy word. Did you get that? The Holy Word using the Christian church as it teaches on this belief that is not biblical, that when you die, your soul goes to heaven or to hell. Well, no one really gets sent to hell, do they? Everyone gets sent to heaven. And I kind of sometimes wonder whether I really want to be in heaven if that is the truth. Everyone seems to go to heaven, the good, the bad, and the uglier, and everyone in between. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And so when the Christian church teams up with Hollywood, then this world is being set up for Satan's great delusion. Today, there are many that believe in apparitions, whether it be apparitions of Mary or or apparitions of some other saints. People believe that they can communicate or that these saints or that these individuals are giving messages from heaven. The Apostle Paul warned us of what we were to expect in the last days. Notice what the Apostle Paul wrote in First Timothy chapter four verse one. He says, "Now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times or in the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons." So we have been warned. We have been warned and we are to expect that the enemy is going to pull out all the stops and he's going to do whatever he can in order to deceive people. And he is using spiritualism. He is using the occult. He is using the new age. He is using all these methods and they are all grounded. They are all founded that we can communicate with the dead. They are all founded that when you die, you do not really die, that initial lie that was shared with Eve in the garden is the very foundation, the bedrock for that which is being taught in the world religions today as well as through Hollywood and, um, and, and, and its various industries. Well, you may be wondering after hearing this and you really weren't aware of this and you may be asking, if I have been involved with the works of darkness and I want to be set free, what should I do? You may yourself have been involved in the works of darkness. You may yourself have been to a spirit medium, or you may have been to a witch doctor, or you may have been to someone who claimed they were able to share with you your future. Someone who was able, someone who claimed they were able to share with you what your grandmother or a, someone who had passed away was communicating with you, and you may have been under the oppression of the evil one. As I shared with you earlier on, I've just come back from Africa, and there in Tanzania, uh, we had the opportunity of praying for 26 individuals. That's right, 26 individuals in, in the space of about 12 days who were oppressed by the enemy. They were exhibiting demon possession, and it's real. It's not just something that's a figment of our imagination. What you read of in the Bible that Jesus had to deal with, we had to deal with that. We saw that firsthand. It is real, as, 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 as real as real can be. And these individuals, we first and foremost prayed for them. They would be shaking uncontrollably. They would be screaming and yelling, some worse than others. We would pray for them in the name of Jesus, doing exactly as Jesus invited us to do. And the person would settle down. And as they settled down, we would share with them that their only hope was to put their faith and trust in Jesus. That their only hope was to flee from these works of darkness. We preached on this message. We shared on this message. And maybe because we were so direct and upfront and we stepped on the enemy's toes that he Manifested in a way that was even very unusual for the locals who experienced that um, from from time to time, this is what we shared with the people, and this is what I want to share with you. Ephesians chapter five verse eleven, the apostle Paul writes, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them that's what we have done in this message today we have from god's word exposed the errors of the wicked one. We have exposed the works of darkness. Satan, he is the ruler of darkness, the Bible tells us, and we have exposed him for who he is and what he speaks to do. And the Bible is clear, the Apostle Paul is clear, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. If you're reading Harry Potter, get rid of those books. Don't even sell them, burn them, destroy them. Don't even throw them in the rubbish bin. Someone may pick them up after you um, at the rubbish tip burn them get rid of them movies websites don't go there music leave it alone Um, anything at all to do with the works of darkness that are not in harmony with the word of God get rid of that from your life have absolutely nothing to do with it my friend it's serious business I'm sharing this with you because I care about you I love you and I care about your eternity and I do not want to see you deceived by the enemy and so have nothing at all to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. Get rid of all these things in your life. And and I encourage you, don't watch those movies. Don't listen to that music. Don't read those books. Have absolutely nothing at all to do with the fruits of darkness. So what are you to do? Notice what James chapter 4 and verse 7 and 8 tell us. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Submit to God. Surrender your life to God. That's what we shared with these beautiful men and women there in Tanzania. Some of them were just teenagers. One young lady, she was a teenager. In fact, I've got to tell you the beautiful story of two of those ladies. One whose name was Anna. The other one whose name was Esther. It was so wonderful to see how God had transformed their lives they came to us shaking uncontrollably, screaming, yelling, um, not in their right mind. And yet they left with the presence of Jesus. They left filled with the Holy Spirit in their right mind, smiling, happy, joyful, their joy restored. And two of those ladies were baptized. It was so special. Two of the most precious baptisms that I have ever uh, been part of is to see these two ladies who gave their lives to Christ were baptized and they chose instead to submit to God and, um, and to put their faith and trust in him. Resist the devil, says Paul, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so that's what we need to continue to do, to submit to God. Resist the enemy. Draw near to God and the promises he will draw near to us. If we continually resist the enemy and his temptations, he will eventually have no other choice but to flee from us. You see, God has given us all the freedom to choose. The enemy cannot come into your life if you do not invite him. Yes, he can tempt you. Yes, he can make life difficult, but he cannot come and inhabit your life. He cannot come against your will and be Lord of your life. You have been given that most precious gift that God has given to the human race that he has given to all of his creatures that he has created and that is the freedom to choose. The freedom to choose whether we belong to God or whether we belong to the enemy. We must belong to one. We cannot say I'm not going to belong to anyone. I'm going to do my own thing. You can say that, but that is not true. The truth is that you will belong to one. You will either belong to God And be in his kingdom forever, or you will belong to the enemy and be lost forever. There are two choices, two masters, two destinies, and we must choose one. I love what Jesus had to say, the beautiful words of encouragement that he gave in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, quoting from the book of Isaiah. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And notice these beautiful words. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus came to set at liberty those who are oppressed by the enemy. We saw 26 individuals who were oppressed by the enemy, who were set free by Jesus And as long as they remained in Christ, they would remain free. You remember the story of Mary in the Bible, in the New Testament. She was filled with demons and Jesus set her free. He set her free on more than one occasion. And there are times when we need to continually pray, when the enemy will come and come and come. Two of those ladies that I've spoken to you about, they were oppressed by the enemy on more than one occasion. We prayed for them on more than one occasion. But ultimately, if they continue to trust in Lord, in Jesus, they will be set free. I love what Jesus said in John eight thirty six. the words of Jesus. Therefore, if the Son of Man makes you free, you shall be free indeed. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful promise. If the Son of Man makes you free, you will be free indeed. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to give us life and to give us the abundant life. The Bible says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is life. There is truth. There is freedom in Christ. The enemy wants to come, and he wants to shackle us, but Jesus came to set us free. Jesus ultimately promises that he is the resurrection and the life. I love this promise in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verses 17 and 18, where Jesus says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. What a beautiful promise. Jesus says there's no need to be afraid. I am the first, I am the last, I was dead and I'm alive. I have the keys of death. The Apostle Paul tells us that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death itself. Who is, who is the author of death? It is Satan. He is the author of death. Satan, death will be destroyed. The final enemy will be destroyed. God has a wonderful plan for you, my friend. God has a wonderful plan for all of us. What is God's plan? God's plan for you and God's plan for me is to join the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who the Bible says, fought the good fight of faith. He finished the race. He kept the faith. Notice, what the Apostle Paul looked forward to, what you and I can look forward to. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he writes these words, as he is waiting the day of his execution, he writes with full confidence in the one who is the resurrection in the life, in the one who holds the keys of death in his hand, In full trust and confidence in Christ, he writes these words, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, speaking of the second coming, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love the appearing of Jesus? Are you looking forward to the day when Jesus will come? My friend, this promise is not only for the apostle Paul, but this promise is for every single person, every single one who loves the appearing of Jesus. Is that what you're longing for, my friend? Are you longing for the day when Jesus will come, when he will put an end to pain and suffering, when there'll be no more tears, no more pain? And has Revelation 20, 21 verse 4 says, there'll be no more death, for the former things would have passed away. I want to be there on that day, and I know that you do too, my friend. Why don't we pray right now? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for his word. Today we have, through your word, Lord, we have solved the mystery of death. Your word gives us an answer to all of our great big fundamental questions that we face. And, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, your truth that sets us free, free from the deceptions and the errors, the destroying errors of the enemy. Oh, Lord, it is my prayer that each and every one of us, just like the Apostle Paul, we will continue to fight the good fight of faith. We will continue to run the race we will to continue to hold on to Jesus, to those nail-scarred hands, and that we will look forward to that day when we will receive that crown of righteousness from the one who loves us more than anybody else in this universe, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, bless us, Lord. Keep us close to you. It is my prayer for each and every person who is listening to this message that they will draw near to you, that they will allow you into their hearts and into their lives, and that they will allow you to be Lord of their lives, preparing them for the day when you will come and take them to be with you forevermore. Until that day, keep us faithful to you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his word. Keep us close to Jesus and dismiss us now in the peace of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.